Now, before I became a pastor, I worked for, um, I was a police officer for a number of years, and then I worked for an organization called Samaritan's Purse International. And we did relief and development uh, work in Africa, Eastern Europe. And one of the projects that I was involved in was a project that worked with people in Mozambique, where the mortality rate for children was, was uh, of, for death of children under five was something like 95%. And it was because children were drinking water that was contaminated and dirty. So can you imagine the stress and the concern of parents knowing that the water that they're giving their children is actually killing them? But they've got no choice. They've got to give them something. And imagine putting your head on your pillow every single night, thinking about the three-mile walk that you have to make to collect the water that you know is dirty, to bring back to your, to your family and your children that you know is actually killing them. Now, the wonderful project I was involved in was like um, we, we built these water filters and these water filters were made out of concrete and they had all like pebbles and stones and sand and then basically what, what they would do is pour the dirty water into the filter and it would filter the water so it would be 95% safe. The mortality, the, uh, the, um, the, the, the death rate reduced dramatically right across the country. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing to be part of. Now, none of us are putting our heads on our pillows tonight thanking God for the clean water we drink. Maybe the nice beer that we have, but not the clean water. Never mind that issue presenting anxiety because we don't know where water is coming from. But what is true for many across the globe was also true in the context that Jesus says these words. Amid the arid deserts of the Middle East, during Jesus' time on earth, folks, the presence of thirst and the absence of water meant only one thing. Death. Death. And in biblical terms, as you read through the Bible, a thirsty person is a dying person. And it's into this context, during a time where that reality was being considered, Jesus speaks these words, verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Folks, thirst is the inbuilt warning sign that something is absent. It tells us that there is a lack and need and hydration, if left unchecked, will kill us. Now, folks, we may not be wrestling with the concern of having physical, our physical thirsts quenched, but the Bible is clear that spiritually we all thirst. We all thirst. That there is a longing in all of us for the soul to be satisfied, and it is true that if our spiritual dehydration is left unchecked, we will die. It will kill us. As you read throughout the whole of the Bible, we see this connection between thirst and human neediness, but also the imagery of water being the means that God satisfies. King David wrote in Psalm 42, he says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. Isaiah, as you read through Isaiah, about 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born, he, he talks about water and thirst often. Chapter 12, he says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 55, he says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. But also, as you walk through the Bible, 
There are many references to the physical provision for God for his people. And it's at the end of a specific feast, a specific festival that was being celebrated by God's people in remembrance of his provision. It was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's during that festival that Jesus stands up and speaks. And verse 37, it tells us there, on the last day of the feast, on the last day of the festival. Now, folks, the significance of the feast was connected to God's provision whilst the people were in desert after Exodus. They had no water. They were moaning about no water. They were moaning about no food. And God graciously provided water for them through a rock. And you can read more about that uh, through through the Old Testament, but specifically in the book of Leviticus, where it talks about the festival that God's people were to, to have to remember God's provision in the desert. Now, in short, this morning, uh, let, me, let, me, let me try to help us understand because it's so important that this particular feast was a seven-day feast once a year during harvest time. And God's people were encouraged to go and sort of leave their homes and sort of live in booths or shacks or like tents to remind them of how God provided for them when they were living in in tents during their time in the wilderness where God provided the water. And each day during this festival, they would bring offerings to God. Now on the last day in Jerusalem, what would happen is, is that the high priest would fill what is called a flagon, which was a large jar with water. And he would get that water from a pool, which was called the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And he would fill up the, the jar. And on the last day, he would walk around the city holding this jar of water. And all the males and the male pilgrims that would come from all over the world would walk around and they'd have in one hand willow and myrtle twigs tied with, a, with a, something and they'd hold it in, 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 in their right hand whilst in their left hand they would have a piece of citrus fruit which was a, a sign of the ingathered harvest. And they would follow the high priest as he would carry this large jar of water and they would be singing from the psalms psalm 113 right through to psalm 118 and as they got to psalm 118 and as the high priest came to the altar at the temple they would shout these words give thanks to the lord give thanks to the lord give thanks to the lord then the water was offered to god at the time of the morning sacrifice along with the daily drink offering of wine See, the wine, the water were then poured into these silver bowls and then poured out onto the altar together before the Lord. See, folks, these ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles were related in Jewish thought both to the Lord's provision of water in the desert in their history but also to the promise that one day God would pour out his spirit in the last day. That God would pour out his spirit and it was a symbolic message for them that one day God will pour out his spirit and fill his people in a way that he has never done before. Now what's also interesting about this festival is that it was a festival not just for the people of God but a festival where all people from all of the nations would come and see and that they would all be part of not only for the provision to God's people, but a proclamation to the world of God's love, of God's kindness, of God's grace, of God's provision. And folks, it's during this time of remembrance and it's during this time of celebration 
that Jesus says these words. But it's also during a time where the people were confused about who Jesus was. It was also during a time in a context where people were trying to discredit Jesus. It was also during a time where there were those that were starting to plan the arrest and the death of Jesus. Folks, during a time of skepticism, a time of division, and a time of celebration, Jesus stands up and gives a gospel invitation and makes a gospel promise. See, the gospel invitation is this. Verse 37. If anyone thirsts. If anyone thirsts. See, the context was a celebration of God's provision of water during their time in the wilderness. But this invitation isn't an invitation to those who need a drink, but rather an invitation to those that need the thirst of their souls quenching. Jesus stands up and says, if anyone. This is an invitation to all people, he says, from all backgrounds, with all needs, with all wants, if anyone thirsts. See, folks, the truth is we all thirst. We all have a deep need to be satisfied in some way. We all have an ache in the depth of our souls that needs water. See, what's interesting is some of us are fully aware of that and some of us aren't. Now, there's only one time in my life one occasion where I have, I have felt the detrimental effects of not having water. All right, one time. In 2010, you're not going to believe this, I did the London Marathon. Can you believe that? Yeah, you can. You know what I mean? I was great coming downhill. Running uphill was difficult. But anyway, I did the London Marathon, and I trained to do the London Marathon. It was a long time ago, folks. I was a little bit slimmer then. And I trained to do the London Marathon, but there was one, this one particular day when I ran out, it was about two weeks before the marathon, and I went, I'm going to do, I'm going to go and do, whatever, 18 miles. I ended up running 18 miles. And what was interesting, I didn't eat well before, I didn't take any water with me, and I didn't take any food with me. And I ran with one of my colleagues, uh, Paul, who's, who's a fit guy, and he bailed off after 13, 13 miles. But I carried on because I needed to finish the 18. But as I got towards the end, I started to feel dizzy. I started to feel all dehydrated. I could taste, you know, you, can, you know when you can taste the salt from your sweat? You know things aren't great. Anyway, I'm running down the road. Well, when I say running, I was probably like, you know, doing the, the little dad run as I'm going, <laughs> trying, thinking that I'm sprinting. Uh, but I'm giving, and I get to the door, and Sean will tell you, I open up the door, and I'm like, babe, I don't know where I'm going to find another eight miles from. I just don't know where I'm going to find it. Anyway, like, I look like death, apparently. So I climb up the stairs. I climb up the stairs and I think, oh, I'll have a shower first. And I started to get undressed and I, I couldn't get in the shower. Our shower was in a bath and I, I just couldn't get in. So I went and I decided I was just lying on the, lying, <laughs> lying on the bed. And Sean came up with some water and I was like, like rubbing it on my lips. I couldn't, I literally, folks, I was like gone to the point where I thought I was going to die. I genuinely did. I said to Sean, you have to ring someone, babe. So anyway, she gets onto a, a friend of ours who's a doctor. I'm like, like, thinking I'm dying because of dehydration. Sean's ringing. All I hear in the background is, what do you mean? It sounds like heart failure. <laughs> That's all I hear. I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. Anyway, the next one, I have a gulp of this water. I managed to get it. Something happens. I need to be sick. I go to the bathroom, vomit everywhere, feel great, go downstairs and have my dinner. Literally, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happened. 
Now, that's a funny story. Uh, <laughs> now, that's a funny story, but the issue is this. The issue is this. I knew something was missing, and I knew if I didn't have water, I was going to die. There was something deep down in me, something there. But the reality is this. My body is in constant need for that water, isn't it? Not just in those moments where I've tried to run a distance that I shouldn't try. But I'm in constant need for that water, but I'm not fully aware of it because I'm quenching it daily with water, maybe with coffee, with soft drinks, with beers, whatever it may be. The point is, I need it constantly for me not to be aware of the need. It's interesting, that, isn't it? But if I think about it, I drink because I need it, I eat because I need it, and without it, something is lacking. Now, this is true for us spiritually, folks. It is true. The great church father, Augustine of Hippo, said, we are made by God and we are made for God and our souls are restless till we find our rest in God. And as human beings, being made in the image of God, because of sin, we have a lack in our souls that only God can quench. See, the problem is we pursue the satisfaction and we pursue the quench of our thirst in other things. Whether that's sex or drink or relationships or finances or power or influence or drugs or success or exercise or counseling or children or identity, control or ministry. And these things and people are the water jars that we will run to for the answers to the restlessness we experience and to quench our thirsty souls. The questions... Like, who am I? Where do I fit? What is my future? Or questions that have to do with the pain of my past or the disappointment of my present or the worry of the future. And if we are honest, the very things we run after don't and can't truly deal with that thirst completely. And therefore, we are never truly satisfied. We're never truly satisfied, even the good things. Folks, let, let me give you an example. We've done a marriage conference this week. Marriage and children. I'm telling you now, I've been married for 23 years. I've got four wonderful children. I love my wife with everything that I have. But she does not ultimately satisfy the deep thirst in my soul. Neither do my children. And they're wonderful things. And, and for her to, to expect that, that she could do that or to expect that they could do that is actually putting them in a place that God has not intended them to be. And some of us actually run after things that we know kill us. Drink, drugs, power, success. And even for a small moment, we might think there's a satisfaction we actually know the next day or at the next meeting or the next conversation that actually what it's doing is chipping away and killing us. Jesus says this morning, if anyone thirsts, come to me. See, Jesus is standing up during the celebration saying, all that you are celebrating points to me. All the provision that God gave you 
with water coming from the rock and bread from heaven to satisfy you daily is pointed to me and is ultimately found in me. Jesus stands up and is saying, I am the reason and the fulfillment of this very celebration. See, folks, as you read through John's gospel, the whole of chapter 7 poses the question, what do you think of Jesus? What, what do you think of Jesus? And it was C.S. Lewis who said that you can only come to one of three conclusions about him. He is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is who he says that he is. He is the Lord of all. Now, what's interesting is in chapter 4, the Lord Jesus has had an encounter with a woman, a woman who'd been ostracized by her community, a woman that was trying to find satisfaction in a relationship with men. And Jesus says to her this, everyone who drinks of the water that you are drawing out of this well, they will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. See, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. And Jesus is saying, this is what I can do. He is saying that the thirst of the soul is quenched in some way by him and through him. Now, folks, work with me here. If our souls are restless till we find our rest in God who created us, Jesus, therefore, must be the means by which we come to God and find that rest. That's what he's claiming. He's not only claiming that, that's exactly what he's saying. If you are thirsty, come to me, whoever you are, whatever you've done or not done, whatever your issues are, your complaints are, your worries are, come to me. Later on in John's Gospel, in John 14, Jesus will make it as clear as day. He will say this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father who will satisfy your soul unless through me. Unless through me. I am the way that your soul will be satisfied. I am the truth that your soul is searching for. And I am the life your soul desires because coming to me is coming to the Father and in his arms you will find rest. Amen? See, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And then what does he say? And drink. See, Jesus' invitation to those who are thirsty is to come to him and drink. Just drink. Don't do anything else. Just drink what he gives. You don't need money. You don't need to earn it. You just drink. It's like a free bar at a wedding. It is. And I'm in Ireland, and I know you love a free bar. It's true. We all love a free bar, don't we? I've been to hundreds of weddings. And when, the best weddings are the free bar weddings, right? Okay, because you, you arrive, and you go to, yeah, yeah I'll, have a, I'll have a pint of Guinness. Contextualize this, you know what I did? Pint of Guinness, and you know, I'll have a lemonade and lime, and I'll go to pay, and they go, it's a free bar. And I'm like, it's a free bar. And then you tell the guy behind you, it's a free bar. And everyone's going, it's a free bar. You don't have to pay. Everyone gets excited, and it ripples out, and people arrive in the cars, it's a free bar. And I'm like, yeah, I'll have a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of moe, and, <laughs> and we just, what do we, we just drink. We drink, it's free. But folks, there is no such thing as a free bar. Someone has to pay. Someone has to foot the bill. See, this is an invitation from Jesus to come and drink freely and be satisfied. 
Because he has foot the bill. Amen. He's foot the bill. See, do you remember right at the beginning I said that Jesus stood up at the last day of the feast and it was the day when the high priest would walk in procession and he would get to the altar and he would have his jar full of water and he would pour that water into a silver bowl whilst pouring in the daily drink offering into another silver bowl which would have been red wine and he would have poured it in and then together they, for, for, the, for the sins of the people he would pour it on the altar. It, that altar was the altar that daily animals, spotless animals were being sacrificed to pay for the sins of the people before God. The animal would atone for the sins of the people before God. So each day and each week and each year, God's people could walk in the freedom of having their sins forgiven, that the, the bill of their, their sin had been paid, justice had been paid for, the legal demands had been met, the bar bill had been paid by those animals. What happens at this point is that the high priest gets the bowl of water and he gets the bowl of blood and he pours it onto that altar. And Jesus stands up and says, come to me and drink and I will pray the, pr the price. He stands up on the very day when the blood and the water pours on the altar and he says, come to me and drink because I will pay the price on a cross where I will take the sin of all the people, all rejection, all worship of other things, all indifference. The sin that we've committed to other people, the sin that has been committed and caused to us is placed on him on a wooden cross outside of the city. And Jesus Christ, the man who had never sinned but became our sin, so we could drink the waters of salvation, forgiveness, freedom, peace, and rest, gives his blood, so that we can come and drink freely. And whilst on the cross, his side was pierced, and what flowed from his side was blood and water, like the blood and water flowing from the side of the temple. And Jesus became the perfect and final sacrifice for people like you and people like me. Jesus paid the bill. He put the bill that we owe, that we could drink, and be satisfied. Folks, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus stands and gives a gospel invitation. But he also makes a gospel promise. Verse 38, it says this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, the invitation of Jesus offers more than just a cup that satisfies for a moment, not just a one cup and done. He promises a spring of living water that will become a constant presence in our hearts. For every thirst we will ever experience. In other words, Jesus is not merely sufficient for your present temptations and restlessness. He is overflowing with the deeper kind of fulfillment that we all long, for, long to know. Remember what Jesus has said to the woman at the well? Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, once you drink, you will never be thirsty again. And out of your heart, out of your belly, it means, the gut of who you are will flow living waters. That Jesus will meet all our needs. And you will never thirst again. 
that Jesus meets the need of the souls that we try to quench with so many other things, thinking that they satisfy. Like sex and drink and relationships and all what I listed off. And folks, those things can be categorized into these needs and longings. Worth, comfort, release, love, purpose, meaning. Bigger things, bigger things that we think about that, that go into the future. Jesus is saying, I will meet those needs. See, he relieves us of our guilt. Amen. He walks with us in our pain, promising one day that it will be over. He remains in our loneliness, saying he will never leave us nor forsake us, even when we don't even know that he's there. He becomes the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He knows the worst about you and loves you all the same. He secures your future, not just for this life, but for an eternity, bringing you a peace and a joy that can't be matched. In him, Jesus Christ, your desires and needs are met and your soul finds rest. He deals with your greatest need, your position before a holy God, and in him, you are made right before God. This is not just a one cup and done. Jesus promises a spring of living water with a constant flow. He promises lasting satisfaction. Whatever the circumstances, folks. Even if you are not aware that he is meeting that need. He is. Isaiah 58 verse 11 says this, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What's interesting, Jesus doesn't promise a life without heat. He doesn't promise a life without doubt. He doesn't promise a life without concern. He doesn't promise a life without suffering. But he does promise that your thirst will be truly met in the midst of it. And the promise is that this living water will flow from you even in the most barren times. Because the flowing of living water is not dependent on the strength of your faith. It's dependent on the truth of his promise. Sean alluded to it before that our eldest daughter, Ella, is disabled. She has had lots of health issues. And there was one particular time that Ella was meant to be having a really serious operation. Really serious. It took us a year to decide whether or not we wanted to, to go down that road. We decided to, we felt it was right, everything seemed to be falling in place. You know when you're like at that point when you think, oh, you know, we can, you know, we really know the peace of God in this, you know? Everything seemed to be falling into place at the right time. And, you know, we, we could testify, yeah, we feel that God's satisfying us in this moment. We, everything, seemed, everything around that fell in place. We arrived at the hospital. Ella was in a gown. The consultant had come in. They'd marked up all her legs. She's had to have major operations on her legs. 
They marked all their legs off and we were just waiting for them to come and collect her and take them down. And then the consultant walked in after waiting about a good 10 minutes and he walked in, didn't he? And uh, with the, the ward manager. And they said, we're really sorry. We've got to cancel the operation. Now think about it, folks, the, the, the adrenaline, a year to that point, we're ready to go and now bang. Also bearing in mind, as far as we can see, everything seemed to be falling in place from God's perspective. Now, with, now in the National Health Service, I understand if you have a cancelled operation, they have to then do that operation within four weeks. They have to do it. It's part of the... the hold on to that, if any of you. All right, okay. I was told <laughs> within four weeks. And, and that four weeks was like... Oh, felt like an eternity. But one of the big questions that we, we, we had and we wrestled with was, why has this happened? Everything seemed to be falling in place. In one sense, it felt like a barren time for us, in the sense that it was trying to, confusion, and why is this, what is this? And Sean and I would walk the dog and try and talk about it, figure out, we, we, there was a sense, why? why? Why hasn't this happened the way it has? We don't understand, this all seemed to happen. It felt that God's fingerprints were all over this, and what's occurring, it felt barren. And I stayed off for four weeks, and I walked the dog every day at the same time. And on this, this particular day, I went out, and we had some new neighbors that had moved to Liverpool from London. And I met Freddie for the first time properly, and he was walking his dog. And we started chatting. And he was like, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor, but I'm not working at the moment. The situation's happened with our daughter. You know, I'm having a bit of time off and to care for the family. Anyway, we start walking the dog every day. We start talking about the gospel. We just start talking about life. We start talking about stuff. Anyway, after about two weeks, he says to me, I'm going to come to church on Sunday. And then he, 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 he actually didn't come to church, but his partner, his fiance at the time, he was living, they lived together, the little girl, and she ended up coming to church. She then ended up coming to our house on the Sunday, um, which is two weeks after the operation. We had a house full of people from church, some people that we knew, some people that we didn't. And she, she was blown away by this totally blown away that she'd been invited into someone's house and in the midst of what was happening with us as a family. And for us, that was just normal. It wasn't like, oh, we're now going to do this. It was just what we did. Then the following week, Freddie knocked on our door with Charlotte and with the baby and, and said, could we come in? We'd like to say thank you for having us over last Sunday. And Freddie's like, I'd, I'd like to say thank you. And he sat at the, our table and we started talking. And then he just broke down. Started talking about anxiety worry, concern, his past, Charlotte's past. And at our table, we were able to share the gospel and Freddie gave his life to Jesus. A few years later, Charlotte became a Christian and now they're married and they live opposite us, they love Jesus, they're walking with Jesus. Folks, nowhere during that time were we thinking about sharing the gospel with friends and neighbours. <laughs> I'll be honest, we weren't. We're just trying to figure out what God was doing. That's what God was doing. <laughs> so even in the most barren times, the promise of this living water that we have is satisfied that actually this is a living water that even in the times where we don't expect or we even we don't feel it, that that living water is flowing from us. And we are wells of gardens in this barren land. Even if you do not feel it, if you are freely drinking, not even to some extent acknowledging, that living water is flowing from you to others. So what is this water that Jesus is promising? 
Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, Jesus was talking about the Spirit of God. Now at this point, the Spirit of God had not yet come in the way that Jesus was talking about because he had not yet died and rose again. But this was the promise all along. That Jesus would make people right with God through his cross and resurrection and the Spirit of God would apply that to those who believed. See, the water that Jesus is talking about is the Spirit of God. It is God who quenches your thirst. It is God who will meet your need. It is God in whom you find rest. Folks, just as water satisfies thirst and produces fruitfulness, so the Spirit of God satisfies the inner person and enables us to bear fruit, even if we don't know that fruit is being born. Folks, at this feast, the Jews were reenacting a tradition that could never satisfy the heart, could they? Because they had to do it year and year and year and year again. Jesus, in this moment, offers them living water and eternal satisfaction. This was to flow from them, and they were to have life in his name. And that is what Jesus was inviting them to. And that is what Jesus was promising them. Life in his name. Not just for now, but for an eternity. See, he wanted them and us to become convinced that the remedy of our restlessness is not in an ideal circumstance or a new experience. That the quenching of our thirst will not come through any personal achievements or career success or discipline or stuff that we think we have to put in place. He wants us to know that the satisfaction of our heart's longing will only be met in him. And abundantly in him. And my question for all of you this morning is this. Are you thirsty? Or are you looking elsewhere for something that only Jesus can give you? And therefore, are you missing his invitation? Folks, this morning, I, I urge, as a minister of the gospel, I urge you, please, hear this invitation. Hey. Because this invitation will not last forever. I offered you complete forgiveness of sin. I offered to create a new heart within. I offered you Jesus as my very own son. But you would not believe in the work he had done. You heard my offer. You heard my plea. You heard my voice saying, come unto me. But you were too busy and you hadn't the time, and so you refused that great offer of mine. Life, it is short, you know it so well. I told you of death, of judgment, and of hell. But now you are here, you've met your last days. My offer is gone. It's too late. Go to him today in prayer. His invitation is wide open to you. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Folks, I don't know you, but I'm sure that there are some of you here today who have never closed with Jesus, who don't really know experientially what I'm talking about. I beg you, where you sit, lift your heart heavenward and say this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, Christ Jesus. I do come to you. 
Please, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon me and give me this new life. And folks, for all of us, even those of us who've walked with Jesus for a long time, we must come back to Christ again and again and again and discover that he is the one and the only one who pours out his Spirit upon us. He pours it out individually and corporately in the life of the church and he is the only in him is the true satisfaction of our souls. And folks, that satisfaction is there sometimes right at the gut of where we are and the, everything else that is going on in life sometimes distracts us or moves us away from that. And actually, we, we, we look at those things and think that we have to find our hope in them in order to understand the peace of God in the midst of that and the satisfaction of our souls. The issue is this. The world is broken. Pain is real. Suffering will happen. But the thirst that is quenched is a thirst that is quenched now, but a thirst that will be quenched for an eternity because Jesus will return and we will feel the fullness of what it means to enjoy the drink that he offers. Because when he returns, he will answer every question. He will wipe every tear. But all the struggles will be gone. All the desires that are distorted will be gone. And we will know what it is to bathe in the beauty of that living water that he has given us. See, there's a day coming soon when the sun will appear and the clouds, they will be driven away. And the mysteries of this life will all be made clear and will rest in the judgment of that day. What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're breaking inside? When there are dark clouds all day and you can't seem to pray and you just want to run and hide. You must believe. You must believe. You must believe even when you cannot see. See, you believe in the sun when it doesn't shine and you believe in those songs when they don't rhyme. So believe in your God and just rest in his love. Even if you don't know he's holding you, let him hold you. Because he is too wise to act as a fool and he is too kind to do anything cruel. And he is too great to make a mistake. So you must believe. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let's pray. Father, thank you and praise you that the longing of our souls can only be found in coming to Jesus and drinking freely from what he has paid for. And we pray that your spirit would fill us, overflow our hearts, and bear fruit for your glory. And Father, we recognize and we're conscious also that life is hard and difficult and there are sufferings and there is pain. And at times we're blind to your goodness and at times we're, we're not even conscious that you are quenching the soul, our souls. But I thank you that it's not based on whether we see it or know it, it's based on what is true. So I ask for my brothers and sisters here, who are finding it hard, Lord, to see that you are quenching them, reveal that to them. I pray for friends here who don't know you, I pray that they would drink on you. And Father, I pray that we would also look knowing that when Jesus returns, we will know the fullness 
of what it is to have the spring of living water within us and around us for your glory.